Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. A good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. How you doing today? Hope you're having a good one. You know, I'd like to be able to open up today and say, well, good news, bad news. But unfortunately, it's just bad news. It's not horrible news, but it's not good news either. Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame football team got up bright and early today to hold the Blue Gold football game draft. It was quite the production. They had a stage. They had a podium. Fighting Irish great pro football Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis was there. He acted as the draft's commissioner. He announced all the picks, you know, as the picks were made throughout the Blue Gold draft game. You know, it was all pretty cool. But I'll get to the draft itself in a minute. The more pressing news First, before the draft even begins, quarterback Tyler Buckner, the guy everyone's been you know waiting to see in action this spring, he walks in slowly into the Irish Athletic Center where they were holding the draft. He walks in and he's got a little bit of a, a, a limp to him and he's wearing a brace on his right ankle. Wah, wah. And, and football trainer, football head athletic trainer, Uh, Rob Hunt got up before the game began. He announced that Buckner is not going to be playing in Saturday's blue-gold game. Now, there are a few other guys announced who won't play either. They were pretty much the guys we knew about, Avery Davis, Cam Hart, Jason Adamalola, and some other guys. But uh, it's a new injury, unfortunately, to Tyler Buckner. Fortunately, it is not serious, but it is new. And I'll just let head coach Marcus Freeman explain. He talked about it after the draft. I know what everybody wants to know. Uh, Buckner had a non-football injury, happened yesterday, walking down the steps, kind of just rolled his ankle, missed the bottom step, rolled his ankle, and it happened yesterday at 5 in the evening. I mean, we had a meeting, quarterback's meeting, and they left the quarterback's meeting, and it happened in the next 30 minutes. So, unfortunate accident, so he'll be out for the spring game. Um, But, again, he got 13 really, really good practices in, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased with that part of it. So no Tyler Buckner Saturday in the blue gold game. Stairs got him. Conspiracy theorists, you know, you might point fingers elsewhere. <laughs> like like that that Seinfeld episode, The Understudy. You remember that one? Bette Midler's the lead in the Broadway musical adaptation of Rochelle Rochelle. And uh, Jerry's dating her understudy. They're all playing in the softball game. And, and Midler's the catcher in the softball game. George plows into her. He scores the winning run, but Midler is injured because of the uh, collision, and she's unable to perform in the Broadway premiere and all that, so Jerry's girlfriend gets the call, yada, 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 all that. You know, it was kind of a 
everyone's blaming Jerry and George, you know, for this conspiracy to take her out intentionally. And it, it, uh, they kind of played it back to the old Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan. But anyway, I digress. Buckner, um, you know, he's the lead everyone wanted to see this Saturday. No conspiracy theories, just uh, unfortunately a slip of a step, according to Marcus Freeman. But everyone's, you know, we're, we're going to be disappointed. We don't get to see him in action Saturday. And honestly, to me, the biggest draw of the whole game. New quarterback, guy we saw in cameo appearances last year, of course, as a true freshman. Wanted to see how Buckner would do running the entire offense. We don't get to see that now, though. We will see Drew Pine. It'll be interesting just how much Drew Pine we see. He was not available in the draft uh, because we're going to see him play for both sides Saturday. Other quarterbacks, Steve Angeli and Ron Paulus, they were drafted to each side, but no Tyler Buckner. And again, Marcus Freeman said, if it was a real game Saturday, Buckner would uh, be able to play, but it's not a real game. It's a spring scrimmage, so no sense pushing it. You can understand that. The other guys who were out, Jason Adamalola, Kane Barong, J.D. Bertrand, Pat Coogan, Avery Davis, Cam Hart, Jarrett Patterson, Billy Shrouth, and Joe Wilkins. So those guys all out along with Tyler Buckner on Saturday. As for the Blue Gold draft itself, Marcus Freeman was pretty happy with how things went. You know, as today went, it was awesome. Um, I thought it was a great environment Jerome Bettis did an unbelievable job being a commissioner I thought it was a little bit of fun you know we're gonna have fun with this it's, it's gonna be competitive on Saturday but I want to have fun um, I want our guys to really enjoy this experience of, of you know being drafted take some ownership in the teams they're on and um, find a way to, to to find a way to win you know find a way to win so that's the uh, competitive spirit that we have so that's what they've got two coaches for the team defensive line coach Al Washington for the blue running back coach Delane McCullough for the gold seniors were not draft eligible. None of the seniors, none of the old guys were drafted. They were pre-assigned to the two teams. The blue seniors are wide receiver Matt Salerno, offensive lineman Josh Lug, defensive end Isaiah Foskey, safety Houston Griffith, corner Tariq Bracey, kicker Blake Groupie, and uh, the injured guys Jason Adamalola, Jarrett Patterson, Avery Davis, and Caleb Opperman. For the gold, the seniors are Braden Lindsey, Justin Adamalola, Bo Bauer, DJ Brown, Mike Graves, long snapper Mike Vinson, injured guys Cam Hart, Colin Gutzmer, and Joe Wilkins. So McCullough and the gold won the coin toss today. They opted to draft the offensive lineman first. The offensive line went first because, remember, they went by position group. So McCullough wins the toss. He goes with the offensive line as the first group to uh, to pick. They picked all the offensive line. They go to the next group. So here's kind of the order they went in. They went offensive line, wide receiver, tight end, corners, safety, linebacker, defensive line, running back. Quarterbacks went really late, you know, because, again, Buckner's out. Pine was not draft eligible. Then they finished with the punter's and the long snappers, actually. My prediction yesterday for the order of how I thought the groups might be quarterback or uh, offensive line first, got that. Quarterback second, didn't get that because, again, they pushed it late. Then I had receiver, so not too far off because the receiver was the second group pick. Then I had defensive backs. They actually went with, with tight ends, and no surprise, Michael Mayer was the first tight end picked, linebackers. Uh, after that was what I had linebackers went after 
the safety. So I got the, you know, basically the first couple of right, if you factor in the fact that quarterbacks were kind of pulled out of there because of the Buckner injury. But the first player picked at each position. Offensive line, it was Zeke Corral. So he was the first overall player picked since they picked the offensive line first. For the receivers, Lorenzo Styles, Tight ends, Michael Mayer. Cornerbacks, Clarence Lewis. Safety, Brandon Joseph. Linebacker, Maris Leofau. Defensive line, Howard Cross, the first one picked. But again, Isaiah Foskey, because he's a senior, he was not drafted. Running back, Logan Diggs. More on that in a minute. Running back, Logan Diggs was the first running back drafted. And Steve Angeli ended up being the first quarterback pick with Ron Paulus being the other and that's that that running back thing I thought was the most interesting out of all of this because Chris Tyree was the fourth running back picked it went Logan Diggs you know again it goes back and forth so it goes Logan Diggs Jadarian Price the freshman then Audric Estime and then Chris Tyree the fourth running back picked and the running back coach Delan McCullough the coach for the gold team You know, the blue got to pick the first running back. That was Diggs. So what was the running back coach's strategy picking from his position? Man, I'm going to tell you what, that was was a tough one right there. You know, I mean, I was was torn. I had a couple of different cards in my hand, you know, but I really felt like, um, you know, we felt like we got a good diagnosis on Chris Tyree. He slipped a little bit, ended up being the dark horse for us. I'm excited about J.D. and then, um, bringing old Skip Velada with us, man, bringing that type of energy to the room and to, to the goal squad is going to be exciting for us. Very interesting, though, that Chris Tyree ends up being the fourth running back pick because, again, it wasn't just the coaches making these picks. It was those groups of seniors who I talked about a minute ago. They were up there collaborating, giving input on who should be drafted and all that kind of stuff and uh, ended up helping Jerome Bettis with some of the pronunciations of some of the guys as well. But... Uh, Delan McCullough ends up with Jadarian Price and Chris Tyree, and uh, the uh, he's the coach of the Gold team. And here's McCullough on why he thinks the Gold is going to win Saturday. Uh, it was a lot. Of, first off, it was a, a lot of fun. Oh, that was the wrong one, though. Actually, here we go. Here's here's McCullough on why they'll win. Um, we got a great plan. You know, um, a lot of enthusiasm, but more importantly, you know, we got the players to make the whole plan work. You know, I'm really excited about the coaches we have. We're just going to go out there and have some fun. So creating some energy today, man, just respectful of this whole process. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a great way to culminate the spring. Yep, should still be fun. Now Al Washington, who is the coach of the Blue team, on his draft strategy. Uh, it was a lot. Of, first off, it was a, a lot of fun. Um, it's a nice way to end a spring, competitive spring. Uh, so our, our mentality, our, our plan was a collaborative one. You know, we all kind of talked together and, uh, you know, just wanted to put put together uh, a team that had depth. You know, that's the one thing about our team. You know, you can kind of identify what, what positions have a little more depth than the other ones. So we kind of focused on the team, you know, the, the areas that maybe didn't have as much depth um, and, and tried to shore ourselves up that way. So there is Al Washington, coach of the blue team. Safety Houston Griffith with the blue team. As well, there was a little bit of trash talking at the end. Cam Hart goes to the microphone up at the podium they had, and you know he's talking about the guys on this side, the gold they're going to play. You know the guys on this side, yeah, whatever. You know that kind of stuff. But uh, Hart's not playing; he's been injured. Uh, but he did again help 
the draft the team, and he's pretty confident. And so Houston Griffith, he uh, has his own guarantee for the blue. Yeah, I mean, I said you're going to see the results. I mean, Cam's talking about they're going to play with a lot of execution. I don't know how you're going to play with execution if my team's going to be wrecking havoc on offense and defense. <laughs> so there you go, a little trash talk. It should be a lot of fun. and A, a new way to kind of do things with this big draft. Again, a big production. They had a lot of fun with it and, and all that kind of stuff. So the blue-gold game, we have got it Saturday, 1 o'clock right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. We'll be talking with Paul O'Toole from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team here in about 10 minutes. But uh, some big news last night after the show, and of course we talked about it on the show last night, talked about it really for the last few weeks we've been talking about this guy on the recruiting front. Notre Dame got a big commitment, four-star wide receiver, Braylon James, Texas native, rated rated as high as the 12th wide receiver in the 2023 recruiting class. Christian McCollum from irishsportsdaily.com joins us every Thursday for a recruiting update. We talked about James recently, and here were some of uh, McCollum's thoughts on him after a recent visit to Notre Dame by Braylon James. We have loved Notre Dame's spot even since before the visit. We've talked about it on here. Um, we have some pretty, you know, tight uh, relationships with guys down in Texas, and it was coming from all angles, you know, over a month ago. Hey, Braylon James, he's serious about Notre Dame. That's a guy, everything we hear is he's serious about Notre Dame. So we loved his spot, come, Notre Dame's spot, before he visited last month. And then, you know, coming out of that visit, there's it was like we – it was pretty clear Notre Dame was the team to beat, like by a wide margin. Um, and nothing has changed since then. If anything – it's even stronger, right? I'd actually been told right after the visit that he was thinking about trying to hold this announcement back until the summertime. Hmm. Um, I think he wanted to do it on his mom's birthday or something like that, but obviously he's felt con- he feels confident enough to do it now. Now TCU and Stanford are in the mix. I think Texas has been trying to work in the try to get involved as well, but I'm not sure, you know, how if, if it's a little too late or, you know, Texas, I, I don't think, you know, um, you know, James has is, is, is been as interested in Texas as some people think. Um, and I, so I still feel really, really good about Notre Dame's chances. And if they're to add him, it's not just a get at a position of need. It's a great get at a position of need. He, he's yeah. a prospect with an extremely high ceiling that, you know, I'm sure the Notre Dame staff is going to be very excited about if they're able to land him. And it's a really, really good start. It'd be a really, really good start. Um, to recruiting that position, which obviously they really, really need. And, of course, they did land him last night. The guy Christian was talking about there, Braylon James, got him last night. And uh, Braylon James, six foot two, 175 pounds, one of the uh, top recruits from Texas. He ranks number 72 uh, in the standard 24-7 sports composite, 12th wide receiver in the class, number 12 wide receiver. He's a two-time all-district selection and also a basketball player and competes in the 300 meter hurdles and high jump and they he made his announcement on cbs sports hq online excuse me last night and uh you know was talking about the fact that he does other sports you know does track and all that different kind of stuff but uh it's uh you know it's a big pickup for for marcus freeman it moves notre dame's class back up to the number one rated class after they had the decommitment over the weekend 
but, uh, you know, it pushes them past Ohio State, Arkansas, and Texas Tech now, number one with nine commitments right now. Braylon James made the commitment last night, and here is why he says he picked Notre Dame. You know, obviously, just looking at Notre Dame as an institution, uh, you know, in a whole, you know, football is going to end one day. So, obviously, the degree speaks for itself. And, you know, obviously, Stanford could compete in that arena as well. But being able to play at the highest level of football and, and, and compete academically is, is super special. So, you know, obviously, that, that was, you know, just one and all. But in terms of recruiting pitch, you know, all they really did was just get to know me. You know, just sitting mm-hmm. down and getting to know who somebody truly is is – you know, something not a lot of coaches do, but I felt like everything there was genuine from Coach Stuckey to um, Coach Reese all the way up to Coach Freeman. You know, it was it was genuine love, and, yeah, it was it was real. It well, was real. Personal touch, the Marcus Freeman touch, sat down and got to know him and uh, pulled in the number 12 wide receiver in the country. This is the uh, second highest receiver since Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd, the highest-rated receiver Notre Dame, has ever had Jordan Johnson, uh, who was here here last spring, transferred after last spring, went to UCF and uh, didn't catch a pass for UCF after transferring last year. But uh, after those two guys, it is this guy, Braylon James, the next highest rated recruit. So we'll talk with Christian McCollum from irisportsdaily.com. More about Braylon James and other recruiting topics tomorrow at 5.30. We'll also have more thoughts from James coming up here in just a little bit before 6 o'clock. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Paul O'Toole, catcher from the Notre Dame 2002 College World Series team as we continue to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series appearance. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bun's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981 by Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978 and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Paulo Tool from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team joins me next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. It leaves the yard, third home run of the day for the Irish. Home run number 11 for Paul O'Toole this year in his 31st career home run as Paul O'Toole has his first ever 5-for-5 day. Well, it's the 20-year anniversary, of course, of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team as the team gets set to uh, host a little... uh, Reunion coming up next week here in South Bend, and uh, one of the uh, best catchers in Notre Dame baseball history from that 0-2 Fighting Irish College World Series team with us right now. He was drafted by the Chicago Cubs at the end of that season, Mr. Paul O'Toole. How are you this afternoon, Mr. O'Toole? I am doing great, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. And feel free uh, to play any more clips from that season. Um, I'm, I'm happy to listen to the glory days. All right. Absolutely. Do you, do, you, uh, do you happen to know what game that highlight came from? Do you remember? My guess would be the South Alabama game in the regional. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And there was actually a little part of it 
that would have given it away. I took it out so that I could see if maybe, you know, okay. to, to make sure that, yeah. So you, you, you hit a home run late in that game. Uh, not late in that game. I think it, it, it actually made it 15 to one. You're five for five. And, and I mean, that game, you know, that was part of the regional that you guys hosted at X Stadium. You beat South Alabama 25 to one. I mean, just an offensive yeah. onslaught you guys had that weekend, scoring 42 runs. Why, why do you think you guys were able to just explode that way that weekend? You know, I think a lot of it was we finally got over the hump at the Big East tournament. That was the first year we finally won it. Right. And I don't know what it was. We had some fantastic teams my four years there. We could just never quite get over that hump. So I think once we, we got that um, – got that championship we were just playing with a ton of confidence and it rolled right into the regionals um and plus we just had overcome so much adversity that entire year right that you know we were just ready to get to get rolling and and um you know had just such a great combination of of veterans on that team with some really talented young young guys and uh yeah just kept it rolling before we talk more specifically about that season, the 2002 season, fill in the blank on this one. Mm -hmm. The 2001 season ended with blank at third base. Oh, uh, 2001 season ended with me at third base. That's right. Um, I, it was the Florida International game, um, winner take all. After Pete Ogilvy uh, pitched a great game one, we had to win two games against him that day. Yeah, he did. Um, I hit a ball off of uh, the center field wall, and, and Coach Maneri told me he was about to send me for an in-the-park home run to try to uh, to tie it up. Try to tie it up. And uh, he stopped me, gave me the stop sign late, rounding third. And then uh, Andrew Bushy was hitting, and uh, I think he struck out against their tough left-handed pitcher, and that, that ended our season. Yeah, and that was, you know, again, so so Paul O'Toole is standing at third. It's it, You represent the tying run, as you said, and it's the regional championship game. If I was going to make a movie about the 2002 season, I think that's what I would start with, that triple. You know, it reminds me, uh, like, thinking back about it now. You remember, like, in the Bad News Bears when Kelly Leak hits the inside the park home run? and. Of course. He ends up, you know, the, the music is mounting, you know, and, and all the drama and all that. He ends up getting thrown out, though, at the plate. Now, you didn't obviously right. get thrown out, but, it, it, you know, it just reminds me of that. It's like, oh, you know, this this comeback, and, and now here's Paul O'Toole at third base. He's the tying run, but then, unfortunately, the season yeah. ends. But how did that how did that kind of motivate you uh, going into 2002? Just, you know, kind of that bitter taste in your mouth with the way things ended there. Yeah, that was that was probably the most disappointed I had been up to that point in my career at, at ND. Um, just obviously the talent we had on that squad, being ranked number one in the country at some point during that year with Heilman and Tamayo at the top of our rotation, um, not being able to, to, to win that regional, um, you know, after, you know, just what we went through that entire year, it, it was extremely disappointing, extremely disappointing. We were the better team, and we just fell short, and that was um, that was unfortunate. So I think you're right, just the bad taste that left in our mouth. Um, my my class now becoming seniors, um, you know, having a, a strong core of guys that played the bulk of their four years, um, 
started with with Bushy and Stanley and others. Um, I think we were ready to get going that senior year in 02. Well, and from a position player standpoint, I mean, your 02 team, it's like you're a senior, Stanley's a senior, Bushy's a senior, Stavisky's a junior. I think Bill mm-hmm. Meyer would have been – I think he was a junior, junior. as well. Yeah, yeah. Solman – is a sophomore thing you know it's like so you had like a pretty senior laden team with a mix of some other guys but of course the thing that you where you lacked you know the was like you lose guys like Aaron Heilman who ends up being a first yeah. round draft pick on the mound you lose Danny Tamayo who got as far as AAA and then you've got these two young freshmen Grant Johnson Chris Neisel who were mm-hmm. you know pretty good during the season but they really turned into studs once the postseason rolled around and obviously being the catcher you were behind the plate so why do you think that those guys were able really to to up their game so much once that big stage came around yeah I think that's just the natural progression of of anyone's freshman year especially if they're you're getting a lot of playing time you know I can speak to my experience um you know having started freshman year Stanley could probably say the same thing same as Bushy you don't really get your feet wet until at least halfway through the season and then you realize, you know, I can play at this level. It's a big jump from high school. And then you really, in the postseason, um, again, you're, it's your first time experiencing it, um, whether it's in the Big East tournament or, or the regionals. Um, and it, it just everything starts clicking. You, you, re, you have the confidence of knowing you can play. You've done it all season. And then you just you just lock in. And, and as you said, you know, Chris Niesel, his performance was phenomenal in the postseason. Um, Grant Johnson reminded me a lot of, of Aaron Heilman out there, so yeah. it was great to have him on the bump. Um, I, but I think it's just the natural progression of freshman year, just finally getting, I don't know how many innings it takes, whether you're a pitcher or a position player, or how many games at bats it takes. I think it's just by the time you know May and June roll around, you're just you're comfortable and you're confident and you're ready to go. Paulo Tools with us from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. You know, we've talked on this show about that Mississippi State atmosphere that, you know, last year's Notre Dame team went down there into the Super Regional. When you were, I guess, a sophomore, you went to Starkville for a regional and got to experience that environment. And then flash forward a couple years later, as a senior, you're in another pretty hostile environment at Florida State when you win the regional at Notre Dame and, and go to that super regional. How would you kind of compare those two environments? Yeah. yeah, both both were amazing environments. Mississippi State was just phenomenal. I mean, the mecca of college baseball. Um, going down there with a sophomore, and, and you know, we had some good seniors on that team, like like Matt Nussbaum and you know John Corvin and, and – um, good leadership from that team that was i think we were we went in with our eyes wide open like oh my gosh what's going on and then we played well <laughs> but ultimately ultimately falling short but come that really prepared us uh, at least my class and and some of the guys that were freshmen on that team um that prepared us for florida state in the super regional in 2002 we were you know we weren't we were nervous. Um, we knew we could play with them. Many of us had played, you know, in summer league with, with a lot of these guys. So we, even though they were number one in the nation at the time, they had won like 20 games in a row. Yeah. None of us were afraid going into that. Well, and that, you know, that. We, t- we, yeah, we were, I mean, 
we weren't we weren't scared. We were ready to go. Um, because so of those, really, all those things yeah. that you'd experienced, you know, from Starkville to, you know, yeah. the, the the regional to to Big East tournament, it just seemed like all those experiences just kind of prepared you guys for that. Like you, that that was it was all leading to something. It seems like. Absolutely. Um, what? But I think the wild card was, as you pointed out earlier, we just you still just weren't sure how the freshmen were going to perform, and they just did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um, Grant Johnson, and then. Um, Niesel, what he did in that third and, and clinching game uh, to win a 3-1 game, that was unheard of in college baseball back then. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, so for him to, to come in and pitch how he did, and of course Gagne coming in and shutting the door, um, yeah, uh, it just all came together. You know, it's JP, the closer on that team, and I talked with him recently, and we talked about his changeup, and there was just so much movement on that changeup. To me, it, it looked more like a breaking ball. He said it was almost more like a screw ball. Just how mm -hmm. devastating was that pitch from where you sat? It was the best changeup I ever caught, and that includes, um, you know, my time in the minor leagues. I, I caught some good ones. Um, I bet. It was, I mean, you could tell the guy was coming, uh, and he still wouldn't be able to hit it. it was, <laughs> his arm action, he had such good arm action, just such good whip, that it was the same as a fastball. Um, but as he said, it really had that screwball action that would just dive down and underneath um, the bat. And, and we, it's not like, you know, most of the time right-handed pitcher, you're going to reserve that pitch for a left-hander, left-handed hitter for the most part. Right. We, w we would throw it to anyone at any count. Um, in fact, <laughs> I was so um, in that ninth inning when we're about to clinch against Florida State, I just wanted him to throw it every pitch. I just kept calling it. And he, he was the one with the cooler head, the calmer head. He, he kept shaking me off. He's like, no, we got to throw some fastballs here. Right. So he would shake me off to get to the fastball. I'm like, no, no, change up, let's go. Well, so, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, you calling pitches, because it's pretty rare in college baseball, especially now. But even back then, I mean, it's mm -hmm. rare that a catcher calls the pitches. You called the pitches, though, right? I did. When I did, did yeah. Um, I started calling pitches uh, for a few different reasons. Um, obviously, Coach Maneri and Coach O'Connor had had confidence in me that I, I knew what I was doing back then. Right. Um, you know, having having started for four years, but we just we needed something different. So the first month of the season, we battled adversity. We we were not doing well. I think we were nine and twelve at one point. Our record was, and so it was a combination of getting better tempo in the game. Um, and just understanding that I knew what I was doing, right? Sure. So they had the sense. confidence in me. Probably right when we started, we turned it around that West Virginia series. Yep. Um, I think we were nine and twelve. We were maybe what zero and four in Big East play. Yep. Which is unheard of for us. Um, we just started calling pitches, and it it just does so much from a, the the pitcher and the, and the defensive standpoint. You get better tempo. You know, we you just get in a better groove. Um, and it yeah, just got just kept rolling from there. JP retired Florida State one two three in that ninth yeah. inning of the deciding game, and he, he got a strikeout to end that game. It sends you guys to Omaha. What what was that moment like? Do, can you even remember anything? Of course, <laughs> I, I, I still I, I still remember that. Um, he, he finally did listen to me. He threw a change ball in <laughs> that that I had to block. Um, yeah, that's right. Which was good. So it was a. Uh, I just remember running out. Um, 
you know, jumping into his arms. I don't know what exactly we did. And then we just, you know, dog, the dog pile. pile started. <laughs> just, it just started. Um, just couldn't believe we actually made it to Omaha. It was just an amazing feeling. Still have the, the newspaper clippings of, of me and JP running out to, to greet each other and then yeah. brace each other after that win. Um, I think it was on the, the cover of USA Today, of all things. Um, my parents still have that clipping. Wow. That's pretty cool. But it was just amazing. I mean, I still get chills just talking about it. Um, yeah, it was great. What about what about that Omaha experience in the College World Series? What what are some standouts for you? Uh, it was such. I mean, Coach O'Connor had played in it. Right. He, you know, he's from Omaha, so he he tried to set the scene. Coach Maneri was again trying to set the scene. You don't really know what to expect until you get there. And it is such a phenomenal event, um, you know, two-week event. They do a fantastic job of putting on. It was um, just a fantastic experience. Um, you know, there's so much buildup and, uh, you know, festivities before the games even start. Uh, just an amazing, amazing time. And then, of course, the games. Um, I just remember being so there's a few regrets. We were so close in those two Stanford games that we yep. lost by one run and two runs. Um, and then beating Rice on Stavisky's walk-off home run, that was phenomenal. Um, you know, part of me just, I, I play it back in my mind, is I'm sure there was part of it where we were just happy to be there because we had the talent to truly to win that thing. Um, Absolutely. But I can't have any regrets. I mean, it was a great experience. We played our tails off, um, you know, we, we had a respectable showing going one and two. Um, but that, I, I just wish we had knocked off Stanford in one of those games. <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, there was just so much, like, you know, Stanford had Jeremy Guthrie, who ends up pitching in yeah. the big leagues. And like, they're, uh, you know, most of their infield, I, I think, were, were like, ended up being big league guys. Like, like that yeah, side of the bracket, it's you, the eventual national champion, Texas, Rice, and Stanford. It seemed like. You guys got kind of like the you know, the pitching heavy side of the break. I always felt like if you if yeah, you would, we did. if you would have been on the other side, you know, maybe you're at least playing for a national championship. Well, you know what didn't help, Sean? Um, umpires giving eight inches off the either side <laughs> of the plate for for Guthrie. Guys you know, with yeah, with a reputation. That's right. That's right. You don't need a, a and they knew that Stanford had been in the College World Series. You know, they know how to manipulate these umpires. So, <laughs> I mean, they're sitting up on the chalk. Um, batter box chuck to, to and they're calling it so yeah that was another adjustment that I, we didn't quite make yeah <laughs> paul o'toole with this from notre dame's 2002 college world series team you know what's always stuck with me from that team the 2002 team you know guys like you stanley bushy solman i mean you can go on and on there was just such a high baseball iq on that team but how did, how did that kind of compare maybe to any other team that you played on uh, it, it really didn't. I mean, in terms of um, the experience we had, and, and I'm sure maybe Stanley, talk to Stanley, he'll tell you this. It just, it's a different type of baseball when you get into professional baseball, uh, especially in the minor leagues. Just everyone's, there's not that team mentality. Everyone's kind of out for themselves sure. looking to, to move on to the next level. So uh, just being able to go through so many battles and wars with, with Stanley, with Bushy, with, you know, Buckmeyer and, and Drew Duff and Ken Meyer and, and guys in my my class um, over four years, it's tough to replicate on any team. Yeah, um, 
So, yeah, just and then just you know summer leagues, you know, Stavisky, Stanley, and I going to to the Cape Cod League and having great seasons there. Um, Solman doing the same thing. So it's getting you know four years of of that experience is almost impossible to replicate um, on any team. Paulo Tool, yeah. catcher from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. Great stuff from you. Paul, I appreciate you taking some time today. Sure, Sean. Hopefully it got you out of work for a little bit anyway. So. Well, you know, it did, and I'm, I'm sure um, I was probably far down on your list, so I'll talk to the other guys at the reunion and say next time they should accept your offer to do an interview, <laughs> but I'm happy you eventually got to me on the list. You so were not You were not sure. far down the list at all. You, you were, okay, Sean, you can I'll, You, can, I'll, you I'll can ask Maneri. I said, I said <laughs> what is O'Toole's number? I, he, is, he is high on the list, so... All right. All right. I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, good reconnecting with you, Sean. You too. You too. I, I assume you're coming into town next week, right? I'll be in town for the reunion. Absolutely. We got a good turnout. I think we got 22 guys uh, coming back. So, All right. yeah, looking forward to it. Sounds good. And the game on the 30th, April 30th against Boston College. It's an afternoon game. And uh, you and the 2002 team are going to be recognized at that game. So uh, fans who are uh, going out to that game, you'll have a chance to see both the current team and the uh, currently the greatest team in Notre Dame history from 2002, that College World Series team. All the best to you, Paul. Thanks a lot. Look forward to seeing you next week. Sounds good, Sean. Take care. Okay, you too. Paul O'Toole, Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Notre Dame football's latest commitment, Braylon James, the wide receiver, from Texas. You'll hear from him next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. We've got South Bend Cubs baseball. 705 first pitch from Four Winds Field, 645 pregame. Brennan and Max will have the action for you in the pregame show tonight. As well, Braylon James, 12th ranked receiver in the 2023 recruiting class, committed to Notre Dame last night. We'll talk more about him tomorrow when Christian McCollum from irishsportsdaily.com joins me. But they did the uh, draft announcement on CBS Sports HQ, the online CBS Sports uh, platform. And after the commitment was announced. Here is a little bit of an interview with the guy hosting it and Braylon James. You know, obviously, just looking at Notre Dame as an institution, uh, you know, in a whole, you know, football is going to end one day. So, obviously, the degree speaks for itself. And, you know, obviously, Stanford could compete in that arena as well. But being able to play at the highest level of football and, and compete academically is, is super special. So, you know, obviously, that, that was, you know, just one and all, but in terms of recruiting pitch, you know, all they really did was just get to know me, you know, just sitting yeah. down and getting to know who somebody truly is, is, you know, something not a lot of coaches do, but I felt like everything there was genuine from Coach Stuckey to um, Coach Reese all the way up to Coach Freeman, you know, it was it was genuine love and yeah, it was it was real. Well, real. high character individuals all over the place there on campus at South Bend. You have balled out on field yes, and in the classroom, gained interest from some of the most prestigious institutions across the country. Can you pinpoint the moment where you said to yourself, it's the Irish? You know, I, I kind of always had like an idea in the back of my head, like that's where I wanted to go, you know, 
probably from right when Coach uh, Stucky got in there, you know, he texted me before he announced that uh, he took the position. And he was like, man, you know, I, I want you to be a part of, you know, my my branch, you know, I feel like we can build a wide receiver you at uh, at Notre Dame. You know, it, it sounded good, but you know, once I finally got up there, I was like, man, this is the place. So, you know, I went ahead and pulled the plug and told Coach Freeman and Coach Reese, and you know, the whole staff was fired up um, just as much as I was. So, I, I feel like I made the the right decision for for me in my life. Well, they are surely fired up, and as someone who spent Saturdays growing up in South Bend. I know the faithful are ready to see you come and make your mark on that program. It's all about what you do with the opportunity from here on out. And you now have the opportunity to speak to your future fan base. Let the Irish faithful know what sort of players head to town. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a real dynamic athlete. You know, I'm not just a, a football player. I do it all. I run track as well. So I just want y'all to know y'all are getting a true athlete as well as a, you know, not to brag, but I'm, I feel like I'm a high character individual, and that's a, all a testament to my, my family, you know, my friends, along with all the people here supporting me. So obviously, you know, that, that's a testament to them. But uh, yeah, just know that, um, you know, we're, we're going to win some championships when me, uh, when I'm up there, along with the, the great class that we're going to build. So um, with the, all that being said, go Irish. Braylon, congratulations from all of us here at CBS Sports to you and the entire family, that support system that's gotten you to this moment. Wake up those echoes, my friend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, so the celebration is on. Braylon James making it official. He's heading to South Bend, Notre Dame, with a massive get. The number 12 wide receiver in the class of 2023. And as you heard our analysts say, the ceiling is high for this young man. And that frame, the skill set, heading to the Irish, Coach Freeman's program. So Braylon James committing last night to Notre Dame. And again, uh, it moved Notre Dame's current recruiting class back into the number one spot after the uh, decommitment over the weekend uh, by the cornerback, Rhett. And uh, so now with Braylon James back into the number one spot in the 2023 rankings. We'll take a timeout. We come back to get a Sports Center update in the 6 o'clock hour. We will talk more Notre Dame football and some other topics. It is rapid fire in the 6 o'clock hour, leading us up to the South Bend Cubs at 645 on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT South Bend. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Jesse Styers tonight's Rapid Fire and Budweiser's weekday sports beat, the 6 o'clock hour. We got South Bend Cubs baseball pregame coming up at 645 tonight. Jesse, let's just uh, jump right in here. We've got Blue Gold football game news. We found out today Tyler Buckner is not going to be able to play in Saturday's Blue Gold game. And here is head coach Marcus Freeman with the explanation. I know what everybody wants to know. Uh, Buckner had a non-football injury, happened yesterday, walking down the steps, kind of just rolled his ankle, missed the bottom step, rolled his ankle, and it happened yesterday at 5 in the evening. I mean, we had a meeting, quarterback's meeting, and they left the quarterback's meeting, and it happened in the next 30 minutes. So, unfortunate accident, so he'll be out for the spring game. Um, but, again, he got 13 really, really good practices in, and uh, – I'm, I'm pleased with that part of it. 
All right, so there is Marcus Freeman, and again, Tyler Buckner is out for Saturday's game. So, Jesse, with Buckner out, how much does it change your interest in the blue-gold game Saturday? My interest level went from a 8.5 out of 10 to a mere 3 out of 10. It's <laughs> quite a drop. In my yeah, no, but in my opinion, the biggest question mark for next season is how the offense is going to op operate uh, with Buckner at the starting position. I wanted to see the base packages that you know Notre Dame plans to run around Tyler Buckner, what Tommy Reese has really come up with and developed because you know Tyler Buckner doesn't play like uh, a guy like um, Jack Cohn and uh, he plays more like an Ian Book, but he's actually more mobile than Ian Book. Yeah, so exactly. They obviously aren't going to show anything too flashy or, or complex because it is just the spring game and they want to keep it more simple for the younger guys who are still learning kind of like those base formations and alignments. And that's who the game is really for is, you know, those guys to kind of showcase what they have. And uh, as, like I said, the younger guys, the freshmen or sophomores, so they don't like to overwhelm them with, you know, too many packages or, or things like that. And, and I don't think people realize sometimes how much goes into kind of getting set up in the right alignment pre-snap. And, you know, that's half the battle, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I also wanted to see what sort of uh, – running freedom they're going to give Buckner in the offense. Buckner's feet, quickness, and mobility are, are his biggest uh, strengths to his game and something that should be utilized. However, we have seen quarterbacks in the past who are more mobile playing at Notre Dame suffer you know, injuries. So you always have that line of how much do you want to run a guy yeah. uh, and, and maybe risk you know, some sort of leg injury. Um, but it, it would have been nice to see Buckner in some sort of live action before making his first career start next season uh, on the road against Ohio State. It just makes me feel kind of a little bit more uneasy about the offense and the direction it's going for next season because we really won't see it you know, full force with Tyler Buckner until the first game next year. Here we got May, June, July, August. Basically, we have until training camp in August, and then by that point, who knows how much we're actually going to get to see, you know, like in practices and stuff like that. So, I mean, we've got a ways to go. I, and I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, we were all really wanting to see Tyler Buckner. You know, that was that was like, you know, like the – the unveiling. So instead, we're going to have the great unknown for at least another four, if not five months, depending on how much we get to see him during training camp. And, you know, I do wonder, I'm not sure how much they would have let him run anyway. You know, it's a, it's a new head coach and all that kind of stuff, different philosophies. But like, remember a few years back before Phil Dracovic transferred the last spring game that he played in, he was really frustrated because the running thing was so much a part of his game as well, or, you know, at least his ability to run, and he really wasn't able to. He had to stand in the pocket and took a lot of sacks because he wasn't able to run, and it was, you know, touch football and all that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest thing is is just, like, what was his comfort level? How much more accurate did he look? Because, you know, that was, that was the thing. Like, you think back to that Virginia Tech game with the interceptions and, you know, just a, a little bit more shakiness, like when he was forced into some passing situations. Just what's his comfort level with the offense and kind of what you said there, you know, how were they going to what, – what was that base offense going to look like with him in it? There's so many questions that we're not going to get the answer to now. Does mean we're going to get to see more of Drew Pine. Um, so at least we kind of get a baseline for what Drew Pine looks like, but – you know, again, the flip side of that is we have nothing to compare it to. Maybe Drew Pine looks better than Drew Pine last fall in the two games that we saw him, but we're not going to be able to compare 
the two. And, you know, the, the coaches have all that information, and that's the most important thing, but we'd all like to be able to see that. And that's, you know, again, we're talking about the question was, how much does it change your interest in Saturday's game? And it changes it quite a bit for me. And that's saying something considering, again, it's a new head coach and you've got all these different coaches at different positions. You got a new defensive coordinator, all this different stuff. So there are going to be some things I think, you know, at least that we'll be able to see and, you know, kind of compare it to. Does it look different? But this is the biggest one. And with no Buckner, eh, really changes it up quite a bit. Yeah, and, and especially in today's football, it's like you you have to have an explosive type of offense. You have to have an offense right. that's going to put up points. So I guess the the only thing that comes out of this is if I'm Drew Pine, I'm ready to go. Like this is a big stage for opportunity. Him. A, that's right. Yeah, a huge opportunity. Obviously, nothing's a hundred percent decided, especially if you go out there and absolutely go crazy and have a great game. Absolutely. So with Buckner out, are there a couple things maybe you're looking now to see come out of this blue gold game? You know, there is still a lot of things that I would like to see. You know, kind of maybe clarified, and that's you know, what are they going to do? Uh, with the offensive line, they have a lot of guys who maybe could reshuffle or be situated. You know, Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, Josh Lug, uh, Tosh Baker. And then I want to also see, like, how the younger guys are going to perform in the group, like Rocco Spindler, who is a, a big recruit, Michael Carmody, mm-hmm. Zeke Carell. You know, these are just names. You have a lot of talent here. So And a new offensive line coach, and it's a coach that has a very good reputation that has produced a lot of NFL talent. So I want to see what his thought process is and how he wants to – essentially kind of arrange his chessboard. So, and, and then next I kind of shift into, you know, what are they going to do at running back? What kind of rotation is there going to be between Chris Tyree, uh, Logan Diggs, and Austin Estime? Because I think all of those guys are top-level running backs and all have their own uh, kind of pros and cons, but we've seen Tommy Reese kind of uh, enjoying using multiple running backs in his offense, if you will, you know, kind of guys that mm-hmm. split time, guys who are, who are more – you know, maybe explosive through the hole, um, but maybe other guys are better out of the backfield uh, and catching passes. And I think the, the the multiple running back thing is something that really helps a mobile quarterback like Buckner um, is because it only makes those guys more dynamic because that's more that the, the defense has to worry about. You know, you have to commit a hat to maybe two running backs that are on the field at the same time and a guy like Tyler Buckner because he can pull it and take it and run it himself. Um so that's, uh, you know, and I guess the last thing on offense, because I do have a couple defensive things, believe it or not, but okay. on offense, it's all right. I want to know who is going to be the big, you know, playmaking wide receiver, who's going to go up, get the ball, and be a guy who, who, who can really just go up and snag the ball and make big, you know, plays when you need them. Is it going to be a, a veteran like Braden Lindsey? Is it going to be the, one of the younger guys that's super talented like Lorenzo Styles, who's honestly my personal favorite and who I would like to see step up in that role just mm-hmm. because of, his speed, his agility, how he can jump. He's a very, he can very, he can go up and high point, you know, the, the, the ball very well. And then also guys like Deion Colsey, who are also super talented. So there's still a lot to look forward to on the offensive side. Um, it's, it's amazing on the subject of the receivers, how one game sort of vaulted Lorenzo styles. Like that was really, you know, we saw a little glints of him here and there throughout the season but the fiesta bowl with that big game that he has all of a sudden he's like the presumptive (laughs) number one receiver now based on that one game you know but I agree I mean he's got a lot there to like but I'll let you talk about the defense now 
Yeah, and also I think Lorenzo Styles also had an, a coming out game, if I'm not wrong, when they were playing USC. I, I, you know, it wasn't something crazy, but I remember he had at least a couple catches and he was on the field. Um, but defensively, it was kind of simple. Uh, two simple things, but kind of big questions, in my opinion, is, you know, how is the defense going to look overall now that Marcus Freeman is no longer the, in the, the, the official defensive coordinator? Are they still going to want to, you know, bring pressure as much as he liked to did? Uh, you know, what kind of formations are we looking at? And then I think the, the biggest question is what the rotation, the secondary is going to look like and who's going to step up uh, in the secondary overall. Yeah, I, I think kind of piggybacking on what you're saying there with the secondary, that's one of the biggest things that I want to see. And again, it's a little bit tougher in a game like this because it's not going to be, you know, ones versus ones, twos versus twos. These were drafted teams, and we'll talk about that in a second the fact that they drafted teams so you've got kind of a hodgepodge you know you don't necessarily have you know true starters going up against each other they can try to match some different guys up you know just depending on some matchups but I want to see kind of what some of these young guys have whether it's Ryan Barnes Philip Riley Chance Tucker Jade Mickey I, I want I want to see what they've got out there you know Clarence Lewis a chance for him to kind of show himself I think as well, the, the veteran of the group with Cam Hart uh, not being able to participate due to his injuries. But I, that, that's, that's a big thing I want to look at. The offensive side of the ball, the offensive line, just like you said, I want to see how much more in, in a pretty short amount of time are we already seeing some signs of some physicality under Harry Heaston that was lacking, especially last year under Jeff Quinn, the old offensive line coach. So I want to see that. You were talking about the running backs, and I think there were not really many shocks to come out of the Blue Gold draft itself today. You know, again, the you know the biggest news was Tyler Buckner rolling his ankle, walking down some steps yesterday, wearing a knee, uh, an ankle brace today, so he's not going to be able to play. The biggest shock in the draft, I think, was the running back position. You talked a lot about Chris Tyree. He was the fourth running back picked in the draft today in the blue gold draft the first running back pick was logan diggs the second running back pick was the freshman jadarius price and then audric estime the big guy goes third and then chris tyree ends up being the fourth running back pick so i was shocked by that by the fact that chris tyree went fourth and it was the seniors as well as the coaches you know they they were kind of the advisors to the coaches picking these teams so I don't know, you know, read too much into that, but I, I found it very curious that Chris Tyree ended up being the, the fourth running back picked out of that group. All right, speaking of the draft itself, they did draft teams this morning, and uh, the seniors, again, acting as advisors to the coaches. They went by position group, drafted every player in each position group before they moved on to the next position group they started with the offensive line so you they went through picked all the offensive linemen then went to the next group what do you think of that format Jess I actually enjoy this method um, believe it or not when I played in college this is this is how the spring teams were determined um, when I was playing the reason I enjoy it is because it's not just strictly your ones versus twos and everything meaning first string offense goes against second string defense and then obviously first string defense would go against your second string offense when the teams are drafted like this, it becomes more, in my opinion, like a 50-50 split of talent. 
So you may have a mix of, you know, first and second string t guys on each team, uh, which in the end makes for more a, a more competitive or more equal game. It's, you know, I, I like the combination of maybe you'll have a number one wide receiver lined up against a number one quarterback, or maybe you'll have a number one linebacker, uh, you know, matched up with a number one running back. It's not just strictly your ones versus twos. I, I like to see the similar skill levels uh, going at it. So I enjoy this format, actually. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty cool as well in the way that they did it. I think it worked out really well. It was a fun way to do it for everybody. It got the, the, the players involved, the seniors involved, the way they did it. And, you know, especially to have a guy like Jerome Betta standing up the podium announcing all the picks, that's uh, obviously very cool as well. But uh, I, I think it's a cool, you know, we've never seen it done publicly like this before either so I think it was a fun way to do it and it sounds like everybody liked it and I'll see we'll we'll see how long they kind of stick with this format we'll take a time out when we come back we've got more rapid fire we are about 23 minutes away from South Bend Cubs baseball on sports radio 960 a.m. WSBT Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat and Rapid Fire continue on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Got just a few minutes left here before we hand it over to the South Bend Cubs. Brennan and Max from Four Winds Field. Jesse Styers with me tonight for uh, Rapid Fire. Jess, you watched Sunday's K-Rod broadcast on ESPN2. Alex Rodriguez, Yankees play-by-play -play man Michael K in the booth. It's baseball's version of the Manning cast. My question for you. Now, I will say this. I didn't watch a whole lot, but I did feel like they were a little bit better in the second game compared to the first game. I don't know if you saw both. You can talk about that in a second if you want. If you could assemble your own booth for this kind of broadcast for baseball, who would you put in it? Um, so I did not see the first one. I only caught, um, I think, like half of this, this last most recent one. Um, I really don't <laughs> I, it's a little hard for me because I don't really like A-Rod so like that's already like sticking out against me I didn't like when he was on the ESPN crew either. but that's like nobody likes A-Rod so that's what it's like why does ESPN insist on A-Rod because nobody likes the guy but I, just, <laughs> I guess ESPN loves A-Rod so yeah he's he's gonna keep going but um, I didn't actually mind Michael K that's I, I don't know if I've ever I've probably heard Michael K before but I didn't know it was Michael K um, I enjoy, you know, even though he's, yes, he's the Yankees play-by-play -play man, I enjoy Michael Kay. Um, obviously, my biasy against the Yankees is clearly shining through. Um, <laughs> but if I could assemble my own super crew in the booth, um, I would put in, first of all, I would go from a two-man crew to a three-man crew, so I'm going to start with that. Because yeah. when I say a third name, I don't want it to be like, oh, you're two, whatever. Um, first person would be David Ortiz. Um, I really mainly like him because he was one of my favorite players. Um, and I enjoy him breaking down the art of hitting. I think he's a funny guy. I think he may, even though it's maybe a little hard to understand him sometimes, um, he still makes it enjoyable and fun. And like I yeah. said, the, him listening to him break down hitting is something that I enjoy. That would um, that next, would be my only knock on him. Is as much as I like him too, he he can be hard to understand sometimes because of his thick accent. But that's right, you know. especially if he gets going too. If you yeah. really get him on like something passionate or you know a lot of energy wise, he right. it's even harder. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but next I for my play by play guy, I'd have to go with Matt Vaskersian. Um, I just like his voice. I think it's one of the best voices in the game of baseball. Um, just personally, what I like. Always growing up too, uh, he did the voiceovers in the baseball video games that I would play. So like 
it was just a very common, familiar. I like if he's doing a game, I, I don't particularly care who's playing. I'll probably you know stop and watch it uh, just because I like listening to him. So Interesting. He would okay. be my second person, um, and then finally, I feel like there would need to be one more person that's kind of like a celebrity type who knows baseball, who can maybe bring some like comic relief in there too. Um, you know, not 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 guys like you know Vasgersian and Ortiz who have mainly been around baseball kind of like their whole life. So yeah, I would pick Jerry Seinfeld in this situation because I think he would be. I was pretty wondering fun, if that's where you were going. Okay, um, would, to go up there. So that was my pick. That would be my three man booth. Um, and I think honestly, you could rotate out like Jerry Seinfeld depending on you know maybe you play in Kansas City and you have Paul Rudd come on who's like a yeah. big, you know Royals yeah. fan. Rudd or Jason Sudeikis or somebody like that. Right. So like kind of like where you're going is where kind of like how the Manny cast brings people on. Yeah. Except that celebrity fill in would be kind of maybe like you're from that favorite. area. Yeah. Yeah. From that area who enjoys baseball, who knows baseball. So it's not just like, you know, you won't have that awkwardness of maybe someone who's yes a fan but can't really go into deeper uh layers of baseball, maybe. Yeah. See for this, you know, like the Manning cast, obviously, it's Peyton and Eli. There is no play-by-play guy. And you really don't need a play But You know, they're basically the only reason they have Michael Kay in there. He, he's not doing traditional play-by-play. You know, he'll slip into some play-by-play still because that's I, I just, you know, kind of his natural instinct, his nature. But, you know, the main reason he's there is because he's one of the few people who gets along with Alex Rodriguez, I think. So, <laughs> you know, so they've got him. So you don't need a play-by-play guy in that booth. I like your ideas. Big Poppy was one of the first people I thought of. Another guy for the player who I think would be a natural at something like this, not nearly as big a name, but like Kevin Millar, who's obviously on MLB Network on Intentional Talk. You know, he was mm-hmm. he played with or two, but like Millar is one of those guys who could just sit there and talk all night. You know, kind of like Sean Casey. You know, I don't know if I'd want Casey. He might be a little too talkative, but but Millar is just one of those guys. He can get along with anybody. He's always going to have a good story. I think he would be perfect for something like this. You know, kind of like like John Cruck, who used to be with ESPN. He does Phillies games now. I think a guy like Cruck with his personality and sense of humor would be good. And, you know, like Ortiz, I think, is is still a good call. I would put, like, also, though, somebody like – a Tim Kirkjian or a Buster Olney, you know, one of those kind of guys in there, a guy who's a reporter, but who's also, they've got a lot of experience from back in, you know, when they were doing more baseball tonight and all that kind of stuff, you know, like that's kind of almost those old baseball tonight crews are kind of like the vibe that you're looking for guys who can just sit around only in Kirkjian again, both good senses of humor. They can talk. They've got great baseball knowledge and insights but they, you know, they could also sit and be part of the conversation as well. So I think that's the kind of route that I would go. Yeah, I also thought about Tim Tim Kirchner as well. Uh, I think he's just he's kind of a, a nerd. Everyone knows that, but he also <laughs> is like just like he's very passionate and just loves to just sit there and talk baseball. Like and he can laugh about. at himself too, you know. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's nothing's ever an embarrassing moment for him. Yep, exactly. All right, Pro Football Hall of Famer Terrell Owens is playing in something called the Fan-Controlled Football League. It's an indoor league where fans watch on different streaming platforms and they vote in real time to call plays. Now, it's not like detail, you know, like you you go run a hook or you run a poster or whatever, but it's like fans get to vote play to play. It's going to be a run play 
or a pass play. What do you think of this concept? You know, to me, it kind of felt like a, at first when I heard about this, it's like a, a different kind of version of a video game because in video games, yeah. you call the plays and you control the players. Um, but in this league, you, you essentially call the plays to some standpoint and actually kind of watch it pan out how the players would live time. Now, obviously, you're not controlling the players, um, but I think it is something that's fun and interactive. But obviously, it's something that would like never trickle into any like, you know, professional sports league or anything like right. that. Um but it would be what would, in my opinion, what would take it to the next level, or maybe what would make it even more interesting, is if you if one person could control the play calling for each team. So it's like one guy, you know. I know it's like it, it kind of takes away from having as a lot of fans involved. Um, but still, it's like if one guy could control, or you know, one person could control one team, another person controls another, where they're just calling plays. Yeah. Um, that was that. That's something I think I would actually pay to do because it's like. You would you would be calling the plays as like I was saying in a video game, and then you'd actually get to watch it all you know pan unfold out in, in front time. of you. Yeah, yeah, and like you have your own you know full playbook. You don't have anyone else telling you. You know, basically your job is to show up and call plays, and that's it. You have full access to the entire playbook. You can call whatever you want. You could throw it a hundred times if you want. Um, but I, like I said, it's something that. It, it seems a lot of fun, um, and it is definitely an idea that gets the fans uh, more involved. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's a good, you know, like what you were just saying there. I think that that would make sense. You could, they probably could get people, you know, to pay to do that, and you could do it like on a series to series basis, almost. You know, like you get to call, you know, the offensive plays for one drive and then somebody else gets to slip into that seat and call it for the next drive, something like that. So you could still involve multiple people, even if you don't have people voting like that. I, it's, it's really unique. I had never heard of it. Apparently it's been around for a few years and they've been doing this. I don't know what the overall popularity is. I think it took a guy like Terrell Owens to kind of, you know, shed a light on it because again, I had never heard of it, but Terrell Owens, again, he's a pro football hall of famer. So on that subject, fill in the blank, it is blank that Owens is 48 and says he's ready to make an NFL comeback. You know, it's absolutely crazy, um, but it's on par with kind of uh, T.O.'s reputation and um, I guess you could say how he feels about himself. Um, but I feel like he's it's another guy, you know, you could probably throw Des Bryant, Terrell Owens, Chad Ochocinco in this pool of people. Uh -huh. They're just guys who are always naturally just going to be athletic. Like their bodies, for some reason, even though they haven't been, you know, in the game and through the grind of the season and training and all that stuff. Granted, I'm, you know, they're still doing training to some degree. It's like they still stay in this like phenomenal shape. And yes, they could probably go out there and still run like a four five or four six even though they got these old legs. And I think that's what gives them <laughs> kind of like this confidence uh, that they that they could still go out there and play a full grind of a season is that they're still fast. You know, their body doesn't really ache uh -huh. and they're still overall pretty fit. So it's it's crazy to, that that they that they think they can do it. But I understand why they think they can do it, because, you know, if I could go out there to the street right now and run like a four or five or four or six, I'd be like, eh, you know, I could probably somebody give you, know, you a maybe, chance. <laughs> yeah, I could maybe get into a training camp and uh -huh. you know, and those guys know how to play wide receiver, obviously, and have the hands and everything. So it's yeah, it's like, yeah, obviously, yeah, you probably could play to some degree, but I don't think you could play the full grind of a professional season, especially with like the younger how, how young the league seems to constantly be getting at, you know, the cornerback, the wide receiver position. There's always someone who's going to be a little bit quicker 
a little bit faster, a little bit more explosive. I mean, Terrell Owens is a freak athlete. I think it was just like a couple of years he went out there and ran a time 40, and he was running you know, faster than a, probably half of the wide receivers in the NFL right now. And, again, the guy hasn't played in 10 years, and he's you know, he's been talking about this big comeback for the last few years, and so now he's out there playing in, in this league. I don't know that it actually gets him a shot because he's still Terrell Owens, and there's you know a lot of diva <laughs> that comes with <laughs> Terrell Owens. So, uh, you know, that's part of the show when you get Terrell Owens. You know, just like look at the fact when he went to the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago and he didn't even show up at the ceremony. He was – he was at Tennessee Chattanooga, you know, doing his induction speech and all that kind of stuff there. He's still Terrell Owens. It's all about Terrell Owens. But I think it's it is kind of cool that he's actually out there playing, even if it's in this league, the fan controlled football league that most people have never heard of. All right, Jess, great stuff as always. Enjoy uh, your weekend here and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yep, absolutely. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend, Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. After this timeout, you've got South Bend Cubs baseball coming at you. It's the Cubs and the Beloit Skycarp coming up tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow night on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.